So I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to our reading for the scripture lesson for this message from Matthew chapter 13. So we're in the Gospels, the first book, Matthew chapter 13. And I just want to encourage you to take your Bible and read it and then keep it open and read along. We're going to kind of work our way through this passage. And if you don't have a Bible, you can open your phone or um, grab one out of the chair. It's really helpful if you can read along. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to start reading with the first verse, Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and they asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For the people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But because they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. We tell stories to try to make sense out of life. And one of the popular kind of versions of the story that we like to tell is what I would call the Disney version of life. And the Disney version of life has something to do like just follow your dreams and you can do whatever you want to right? And many of us grew up with this kind of Disney version. 
And so you can become a prince or a princess or whatever you wish for. So Pinocchio becomes a boy and Snow White breaks the curse and Aladdin gets the magic lantern and Cinderella, Cinderella finds true happiness. Ariel finds her voice and Wally saves the world, right? Do you know this song? When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Do you like that story? My question this morning, is that story true? Now, we could probably have a lot of time debating that, and I'm not going to take time to do that. But it makes me think of another story, and it's the story we tell ourselves about spiritual growth. Or the story we tell ourselves about how we become better people, how we overcome sin, those kinds of stories. And I'm wondering if we tell ourselves a Disney kind of story related to spiritual growth or conquering sin. The story that says, you know what, if we just want it bad enough, if we just dream it in our hearts, we're going to become better people. We're going to, be, we're going to, be, we're going to grow spiritually. We're going to overcome sin in our lives. If we just want it bad enough... It will happen. Is that the story we tell ourselves about spiritual growth? I know that there's been times in my life when I have told that story, and then it gets me wondering if that is really true. Is it true that if I just want it bad enough, I will grow spiritually? If I just work hard enough, I can overcome sin. If I just keep trying, maybe more praying, more reading my Bible, more walking with God, more sharing my faith, more, more, more effort, if I just work harder at it, will I grow spiritually? That's the question I want to try to think about today with you. And I'm reading a really good book on this right now called Extravagant Grace. If you'd like to read it, I highly recommend it. Interestingly, the author's name is Do Good. Extravagant Grace. This is how she starts the book, and she kind of raises this question. Everywhere I go, I meet Christians who are depressed, anxious, and discouraged because they still sin. She's got me hooked right away. In fact, the the sins that they try hardest to conquer and triumph over are the very ones that they cannot defeat. Many of these people attend churches that believe and preach the Bible and they love the Word of God. They read their Bibles and they desire to live lives of obedience. They pray eagerly and sincerely. They ask God to change them. Every now and then they attend a retreat or hear a sermon and with renewed energy and determination they make a plan to beat this sin once and for all. For a while it seems to work and things get better, but before long that old sin creeps back in and once again wins the day. Only now it's even worse than before. Now discouragement wells up like a tsunami of shame as hope of real change is shattered once again. Ever have to deal with this cycle? I am convicted. I repent. I vow to never do that sin again. And then I fail. Anybody ever have that cycle in their life? So I'm wondering if there's a different story we can tell about spiritual growth. 
Because it seems like this story that says, if I just try harder, if I just do more that I can grow, seems to lead to so much discouragement. And then it actually leads me to think that God is disappointed with me and my failures. God is not happy with me because once again I've disappointed and I've failed to follow through. So I'm wondering if there's a more biblical story. And I'm wondering if we can figure that out by looking at the Bible today and trying to discover how Jesus looked at spiritual growth. So we've been trying to see things through Jesus' eyes so we can see as Jesus sees so that we're more likely to live the way that Jesus lived. So what does Jesus see about spiritual growth? And this week, more than most, I feel like I need to make a disclaimer at the beginning of the sermon, and that is, I'm about to preach on something I haven't got figured out yet. And so if I say something and you're thinking I may be off base, I may be. And I'd like you to come to me and talk to me about what you think uh, would be a better way to look at it so that we can figure out this story. So what I'm planning to do is listen really carefully to the story we just read in Matthew 13 to try to figure out how Jesus was looking at spiritual growth and see if that can change the way that I look at it. So the story starts with Jesus with a big crowd gathered around him, and it's so big he's got to get in the boat and go out there and preach to them. And he starts, he's got this massive audience ready to hear what he has to say, and he starts by telling them a parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some of it fell along the path, and the birds ate it up. First sentence, Jesus has my attention. Because it doesn't seem to me like this is the way you want to plant seed. Scattering it. I planted some grass seed this summer. I got, you know, I've got dogs, so that means I got bare spots, right? So I'm working the spots up, and I go out and buy, spend good hard-earned cash on grass seed to replace the seed that was killed, and I work up the spot really good, and then I go out there and I take my seed and I sprinkle it really carefully in the circle that I have prepared, and then I pat it down real gently with my hand, and then I gently water it, and I'm hoping the grass grows in that spot. I don't go out into my backyard or sit on my porch and go, woo, woo. I don't scatter my seed like that. It doesn't seem to me that any good farmer is going to just take his seed and fling it, does it? Now, I've never been a farmer. I don't know. Someone else here might be able to correct me on this. Do farmers just fling their seed around? No. Especially if you're flinging it onto ground that we are pretty convinced is not going to grow. I've got this hard-packed path. That seed's not going to grow there. I've got this rocky, stony area over here, my rock garden. It's not going to grow there. I've got a, one section of my yard filled with weeds. I'm not going to just fling seed over there. This isn't how we plant. So it seems to me that the farmer is, the story is ridiculous that Jesus is telling these people. The farmer is just flinging his seed wherever he wants. It's like this farmer has... Uh, an unlimited supply of this seed. But we understand from this culture that's not true at all. This farmer, you know, most of the farmers there were very poor. They weren't rich men. They didn't have like an abundance of resources like they could just fling seed around. Most of them were like tenant farmers. These are precious commodities. They would very carefully steward the seed so that they could eke out a living in these difficult conditions. But this isn't the story that Jesus is telling. He's telling about a guy who's so extravagant with it that he just throws it all over. And then the story takes another unexpected twist, completely unexpected. This foolish farmer with his foolish farming practices 
gets a harvest beyond his wildest expectations. It actually works. The flinging of seed produced 160, 30 times. Now, if you understand the culture, you would understand this is just an extravagant story. Because someone in this day and age, if they planted their seed, maybe two or three times uh, the, the amount of seed would be good. Maybe five times the amount of seed would... But a hundred times, this is unheard of. There's no way anybody would ever get that kind of seed. And Jesus is telling the story that the, fir- the foolish farmer who scattered his seed wildly gets a harvest beyond anybody's expectations. This is completely unheard of. And we might be able to draw a bunch of conclusions about this, but one conclusion that seems irrefutable to me is that this, planting good seed results in an abundant harvest. We find when we read farther down into the chapter that God is the one who's the seed planter. God is planting good seed. And God wants a harvest. And God gets what he wants. God gets a harvest of abundance. Which raises some more questions for me about spiritual growth. If I think that this seed planting has something to do with God wanting to grow something in me, what does it tell me? And I'm wondering, who is more interested in our spiritual growth, mine and yours? Who's more interested in us growing, us or God? And I'm also wondering, who do you think is more interested in us overcoming sin? Who really has a greater desire for that, us or God? And if God is the God who's sowing good seed, do you think God gets what he wants? So these are the kinds of questions that I get when I read passages like this, and then I have to stand up in front of you all and explain it. And in the past, I would have been very tempted, and I know I have um, skipped the middle part of this chapter. I just get right down to the explanation, because Jesus, in kind of a rare exception, actually explains the parable to us. He doesn't often do that. When I do that, I'm kind of like thinking, you know, maybe Matthew didn't really know what he was doing. He stuck this little interlude in between here. And what was Matthew, like ADHD? This doesn't really have anything to do with the seed before or after. But actually, it has a lot to do with it. And Matthew put it there for a reason, because he's trying to help us understand how Jesus sees spiritual growth. So these middle section, these verses are very important. So now I'm looking at verses 10 to 17. I think they actually hold a key to seeing like Jesus sees. So the disciples ask in verse 10, why do you speak to the people in parables? You've got this huge audience that's gathered, they're ready to hear him, and then Jesus tells them this ridiculous story about a farmer planting his seeds. Why do you do that? That's what the disciples are wondering. And Jesus replies, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. And now Jesus has my attention again, because I just don't expect this. I expect that if Jesus has a large captive audience, he's going to very carefully explain something really important to them so that they will understand it. But he's saying, you guys get it, but they don't. And then he goes on in this whole section, verses 10 through 17, to talk about the blessing of hearing and seeing and the, and the 
curse of not hearing and not seeing, that some get to hear and see and some don't get to hear and see. And there's this kind of convoluted passage that's even difficult to follow. But basically what Jesus is saying in this passage is this. Look, you get to hear it and you get to see it and so you are blessed. I have given you this rich blessing. You understand the truth of God's word. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And you understand it because I've allowed you to. I'm helping you to understand this. You wouldn't get it. Without me, you wouldn't get it, Jesus says. Without the truth of my word and the power of the Holy Spirit and my teaching to you, you wouldn't get it. You'd like, be like all these other people. Even the prophets and these other righteous people who longed to hear the secrets of God's kingdom. They wanted to know the truth of God's word. They wanted it so bad. They worked so hard to try to learn it, and they didn't. And then Jesus says, you get to understand because I'm telling you. Which all gets me wondering a lot about how spiritual growth works today. Is my growth dependent on me scratching it out and working it out and trying so hard to get what God wants me to get? Or is my spiritual growth a gift? That God says, look, I want you to get this. I want you to grow. And there's a bunch of passages in Scripture we could turn to for this. I'm just going to share a couple of my favorites. The first one's from Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 starts with this beautiful invitation. Jesus says, come all you who are thirsty. Come. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good. Give ear and come to me. Listen to me and you will live. You hear the invitation there? It's beautiful. And then he gives a little more explanation a few verses down, verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purposes for which I sent it. Blessed are you because you hear and see. We're blessed. Another favorite passage for me in this regard is Hebrew 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active. It's living. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It seems like this seed that is being flung around in Matthew chapter 13 has a power of its own. It's a living, dynamic thing that accomplishes its purposes in us. God plants good seed. God wants growth. God wants fruit. God wants a harvest. And God gets what God wants. If we see spiritual growth this way, then I read the second part of this parable, the explanation part, a lot differently. I read this as not being like uh, four different groups of people, four categories of people out there who hear the Word of God. What I read when I'm reading this now is I read this as like, oh my gosh, this is all about my heart. These four different ways to receive God's Word 
I've received God's word in all those ways in my own life. Listen again to the conditions of our hearts and how that impacts our receiving this seed. Verse 18, listen to what the parable means. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but worries. And the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word out, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, 30 or 60 or a hundred times what was sown. It's like Jesus is looking into my heart when he's describing these conditions. Because I know that I have times when, you know, I'm hearing the word of God, but I'm not hearing it. I'm there, but it's not sinking in. I'm not paying attention. I'm distracted. I got all kinds of stuff going on in my life, and the word of God is there, but it never gets into my heart. I got times like that. It's like snatched away before I even have a chance. Sometimes my heart is like, I hear some truth of God's word, and I'm like, yeah, that is so cool. Oh, that is awesome. That is just the best thing. And uh, five minutes later, I could not tell you what that truth was. It sprouted quickly, but it died off just as quickly. It just doesn't stick. Sometimes the Word of God really does stick. It sinks in deep. I hear something, and it's the truth of God's Word, and I, I know that is true. And I, it is shaping me. I know it is shaping me. I know it has power. I know that God is busy. And then you know what happens? Life happens. And I've, I have worries. I have concerns. I got struggles. I got things I'm discouraged about. I got stuff happening in my life. And pretty soon, even though I know this thing about God's Word, I know it's true, I don't believe it because it got choked out. And sometimes I hear truth of God's word and it lands in my heart and it grows roots so deep. I'm changed forever. It shapes who I am from that point forward and there's no going back. There's sometimes when the word of God is that powerful. I, all four of these things have happened in my own heart. So the question I have is, what do we need to do to continually grow deeper or grow closer or to manage the sin in our lives, to manage the different kinds of soils that we find within our own hearts? I'm wondering if Jesus was watching at this very moment, what would he say to me about my spiritual growth or what would he say to you about your spiritual growth? Do you think that he would say, Oh, Kent, I am so disappointed in you. I'm so discouraged about the progress you're making. You think Jesus would say that to me? Do you think he'd say that to you? Do you think Jesus would say, try harder, come on, get back in there and just work, 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 you can get it, keep going? Do you think Jesus would tell me that? Would he tell you that? Do you think Jesus would say, hey, Abide with me. I think he would say something like, hey, Kent, look in my eyes. Fix your eyes on me. 
I am the perfecter of your faith. You think Jesus might say something like that? I am the one who did it all so that you could come to faith and so that you could continually grow in your faith. Do you think Jesus would say something like, hey, I am the Word, I am the living Word, and I'm dwelling with you? I think Jesus would say something like, you know what? I'm the good seed, and I love you, and I want you to grow. And no failure can diminish my love for you. No thorn can choke out my love for you. No enemy can snatch my love away for you. Nothing can separate you from my love. Do you think Jesus would say that to us? When we're wrestling with growing enough and sinning too much and struggling to find our way, he would say, no, nothing can separate you from my love. I think Jesus would say, God is as much at work in you in your worst moment and my worst moment as he is in our best moments, in our greatest obedience. He's just as much at work in us. The seed is there, the good seed, sinking its roots down deep. One of my favorite Jesus passages about spiritual growth is John chapter 15. If you're familiar with that passage, Jesus is talking about um, there's a vine, and it's Jesus. And there's a vine dresser, one who maintains the vine, and that's God the Father. And we are like branches. And what are the branches told to do? Abide. Abide in the vine and draw life. That's what branches do. Do you think the vine says to the branches, Oh, I am so disappointed in you the way you're growing. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, Blessed are you who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Jesus says, My love covers over all of your sin. My love is the basis for all of your growth. My love is the basis for everything that God is doing. If you abide in me and I in you, you can do everything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what Jesus says to us. So it's because of this love that the richest fruit of God is born in our lives. It's because of his love for us. And the evidence for this, we're actually going to go a little deeper into this in a few weeks, but there's evidence about this that has to do with an increasing humility and dependence, trusting in God to do the thing that God promised to do. I had someone who said to me um, recently, if the Holy Spirit's job is to make me sin less, well, then the Holy Spirit's not very good at what the Holy Spirit does. And I could relate to what he was saying. But if the Holy Spirit's job is to make me absolutely and utterly dependent on Christ and Christ alone, well, then the Holy Spirit is really good. And this is how we bear fruit. So if he's begun a good work in us, We trust that he's going to bring it to completion, and that might look like 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold. So if there is one Disney story that I really like, because it seems to me to be the one that's closest to the gospel, it's the story about someone who is transformed by love. And the power of love transforms them in such a way that is really outside of them, 
that this love influences and impacts them so that they come out to be the kind of person they actually wanted to be all along. And um, I think you all know the story, but I'm going to show you my favorite clip from my favorite Disney movie, and it's a story about this love and its transforming power. And I think, even though I'm only showing you the very beginning of the story, I think you all know how it ends when we let love transform us, right? So watch this clip. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. But then, one winter's night, an old beggar woman came to the castle and offered him a single rose in return for shelter from the bitter cold. Repulsed by her haggard appearance, the prince sneered at the gift and turned the old woman away. But she warned him not to be deceived by appearances, for beauty is found within. And when he dismissed her again, the old woman's ugliness melted away to reveal a beautiful enchantress. The prince tried to apologize, but it was too late, for she had seen that there was no love in his heart, and as punishment, she transformed him into a hideous beast and placed a powerful spell on the castle and all who lived there. Ashamed of his monstrous form, the beast concealed himself inside his castle with a magic mirror as his only window to the outside world. The rose she had offered was truly an enchanted rose which would bloom until his 21st year. If he could learn to love another and earn her love in return by the time the last petal fell, then the spell would be broken. If not, he would be doomed to remain a beast for all time. As the years passed, he fell into despair and lost all hope. For who could ever learn to love? a beast. 